Welcome to Game On, the weekly football podcast bringing together seasoned professionals, the male star football writers and a celebrity fan or two. I'm your host, Mark Pugach. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Game On on video. Hello, I'm Mark Pugac and welcome to Game On, the weekly football chat show from Mail Plus. So the Premier League season ends on Sunday, a season largely without crowds, but we have had some fans back this week and on Sunday, and that is a great thing. Roll on next season. Joining us to discuss all the week's matters are Sue Smith, who played for Leeds, Doncaster, Bells and England, Pat Nevin, the former Chelsea, Everton and Scotland winger, and Martin Samuel, the Daily Mail's chief sports writer. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us, Sue. Nice to see you again. Pat, warm welcome. And we'll talk about your book a little bit later on. Martin, as ever, great to have you. Let's start with the two Leicester-Chelsea games. Sue, I wonder if you think that in the FA Cup final, that was the bigger affair for Leicester because they'd never won the cup before. Oh, well, I think, yes, in in terms of that was huge for them. And you could see how much it meant to them at, at the end of the game. You could see... The, the players, you could see the fans, you could see everybody coming together. It was, it was just such a great occasion. I think if if you didn't sort of share a little bit of emotion, you probably would have been quite cold hearted. You know, I was watching it, it's pretty, you know, pretty emotional because it, it was, it was just huge for them. And like I say, you could see how much it meant. And of course, you want to finish in the top four. And I'm sure Brendan Rodgers, that will have been okay. We've gone and won the FA Cup. Now we've got to play them in the league. But you could see from a, a Chelsea perspective. They probably used that defeat in the FA Cup as, as fuel, I suppose, because, you know, standing there watching your opponents go up and pick their pick up their winning medals, it must have been awful. So you can imagine them saying, right, OK, we're going to get them in the league. And that's exactly what happened. So, yeah, I think it was a, it was certainly huge for them to, to go and win the FA Cup. And Pat, if there is a criticism of Thomas Tuchel, can he be a bit conservative at times? And did we see that at Wembley? Yes, he can be conservative at times. Um, it's kind of worked so far, though, to be fair, over the piece. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, yeah, they're getting lots of... There was that period where it was 1-0, 1-0, 0-0, It was binary code. It wasn't football scores. But it worked for him. And they did an incredible job of getting from ninth, was it? All the way up to mm-hmm. where they are just now, absolutely on the cusp of European football. Uh, but yeah, now and again, you think, you could do a bit more. You could create more chances. I thought it changed. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Real Madrid home and away. Uh, they started really creating. They adapted the system just slightly. They went from over 3-5-2, which I think is much more positive and suits the players that they've actually got. Um, but yeah, conservative. And I think certainly, I kind of know where you're going here. Uh, Aspilicueta, Rhys James. You know, if you have Rhys James further forward and Aspilicueta further back, then that's positive. Switch them around and that seem, is seen to be negative even because you don't get as many crosses in. But... I think you almost listen to what Sue was saying there and agreeing that what it meant and what you suggested yourself, what it meant to either club was a big, big thing. Um, cliche alert, Chelsea <laughs> had four cup finals, right, to go. They've won one, they've lost one. <laughs> they've got two more to go and it's massive and gigantic for them. And, and it's, it sounds horrible to football fans and it's, it hurts me to physically say it. The one they didn't mind losing, the upper echelons of the club, was the FA Cup final. I know how painful that is to hear. In reality, that's, tr- that's actually true. 
And I think, Pat, it's what the fans say, because a pal of mine texted me Tuesday night, big Chelsea fan, he went, they can have the cup. We needed this one more. And as he even said, need it. should be banned from going to football ever again. Well, should be banned from going to football ever again. They should take his season tickets away and burn them and give them to someone who actually understands what football's about. Martin, can I can I jump in there? One possible important it's not, point. It's not a currency. It's but, not no, a currency. I know it's not, but I would make one point about what Mark said there. His friend said that to him on Tuesday. He wouldn't say it on Friday before they lost it. Trust no, me. No, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point, Pat. Well, that's a fair I have point. to say, last year when they lost to Arsenal, he said to me, I'm not fussed. And I did say to him, we are the same age. And you went through the whole of the 1970s, because he wouldn't remember 1970, and the whole of the 1980s with respect to the full members' cup Freddy. final, Pat, and I was there. <laughs> you know, and the whole, and up until that sunny day in 1997, having never won anything. Are you telling me now that you can just treat the FA Cup as some sort of frippery, some sort of quasi-league cup. Because that's the problem, Martin, isn't it? If you, that with the Champions it's, League, it becomes this all-obsessive thing that's all that matters. Everything, all of those Champions League matches, all roll into one. If you were to ask him, apart from the 2012 final, if you were to ask specific seasons, group games, what the result was, and all of that, he wouldn't have a clue. And that, but you you remember every time you win the FA Cup. And I don't care how big your club is, you remember every time you win the FA Cup. That's all you remember. When I look back, um, and I support a, a smaller club than Chelsea are now, not a smaller club than Chelsea were then, by the way, but a smaller club than Chelsea are now. And um, and that all of those relegation, great relegation battles that West Ham survived and everything like that, I think it all rolls into one big tool draw with Manchester United to stay up, basically. That's what that's what it is. And what you remember is 1975, 2-0 against Fulham. 1980 against Arsenal. Even 1981 against Liverpool, getting beat because Clive Thomas gives the, gives the goal and, you know, me and my brother are storming out when we equalise. Um, we're storming <laughs> out. In, in, that's the League Cup. And that's what you remember. Yeah. That's Because yeah. the rest of it, I, I, I seem to think it was 76 we drew two with Manchester United. It was the first, it was the first, we hadn't got a point at home all season. I think it had got to December. I want to say it was December and it was tour against Manchester yeah. United. But I can't really remember. You're, you're, you talking fancy, you're talking fans here, Martin. But if we're talking yeah. players, we're talking higher upper echelons of the club, and specifically Thomas Tuchel, it makes oh, yeah. sense. Absolutely. You can't argue with that. But, Pat, Pat, I, I, but, but Mark's friend isn't Thomas Tuchel or, 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 or a player. He's, he's a fan. And, 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 and that's my point, is that yeah. of, all pe- of all people, the fact it's not meant to be accountancy. It can be accountancy for the accountants. I do understand that. It's accountancy for the accountants. And it's accountancy if you're the manager. And as Thomas Tuchel said before, uh, I think it was before the second game, that when he came to Chelsea, they said to him, we need to be in the top four. They didn't say to him, we need to win the FA Cup. So in his mind, you know, top four is mission accomplished. Winning the FA Cup and coming sixth is not mission accomplished. So uh, all of that I understand. And I also understand if you're a player and, and, uh, and everything, although I still think players like to look back on things they won as opposed yeah. to, you know... As opposed no to one, the losers' medals. Well, no, exactly. And no one ever <laughs> prided a, a, a giant cheque for coming third around um, West London. Um, but, but fans, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why, as a fan, you have now, they've, people have now been conditioned to think like accountants. 
you know, the, the, to see football as another branch of accountancy. If you want to do that, there will be an accountant in your high street. Go and watch him add up. It's, it's, it's hey, fascinating can, stuff. Can I, show, can I, can I try devil's, devil's advocate? Right, because I'm actually with you, Martin. Right, okay, so that's, that's <laughs> right. I'm with you. Yeah, I am. Whoever the devil's advocate is, Chelsea have had a hell of a lot of success in the FA Cup, haven't they? You know, in, in recent years. Yeah, five. They've won five. Anybody recently. else. So if any fans are kind of subset of fans that's allowed to kind of say, done them, done that, been there, seen that, all that sort of stuff. They, to some degree, some of them might think that. And there are a, a group of fans, and younger fans particularly, I think, who see FA Cup as, yeah, mm. but it's just the Champions League. And it's, it's sometimes it's actually, it's not actually who your fan base is, it's, the culture of an age group of fans sometimes yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. See, we've got to remember, Sue, the game is about glory, as Bill Nicholson said. There's another, my village is very interesting. There's another fat, a friend of mine who walks his dogs, Man City fan. He does not treat the League Cup as a frippery. He goes, I remember when we were rubbish. And the fact that we've won the League <laughs> Cup four years in a row is amazing. I'm, I think we're all on the same bus parade here. Yeah, we it's are. It's about winning things. Yeah, of course it is. And, and I do think what Pat said there about it, sometimes it is an age group, isn't it? That... You know, they, they just see you have to finish Champions League. You have to make sure you get that sort of football. Because I think then they think, well, we've then got an opportunity to maybe bring in the best players because they want to play Champions League football. But I think as players and as fans, I love the FA Cup. You know, I, I got to an FA Cup final three times, lost all three of them. And absolutely, you know, sort of remember that journey and remember getting to the final. And it's a massive thing in, in the women's game. And you can imagine players would, would feel the same getting to an FA Cup final and, and winning it. That's something to, to remember, isn't it? Something to tell your kids about and stuff. So, yeah, I think we're all on the same page there. Right, I won't be buying him a pint in the pub, that's for sure. <laughs> the, Man City, the Man City fan can have a pint. Pat, how yeah. good was it to have fans back? And Mar uh, we had the roar from the Leicester fans at Wembley when the Chilwell goal was disallowed. And then we had, it wasn't really a melee at Stamford Bridge, but I have to say I was cheering because <laughs> you could hear the roar of the crowd and they get stuck in. I thought, yes, we've got some sort of football back to normality. Uh, it, was, it was an utter buzz. And the noise, I think, was there only 8,000 in there? You'd never have guessed it. You'd have to look up and say, how, how come you, are they piping in noise here? So because it felt so brilliant. You haven't had it for such a long time. Um, it certainly raised the game. It certainly raised the Chelsea players. They needed that and they were lifted right from the start. Um, so that made a big, big difference to how Chelsea were able to play. But the, the feeling of the whole thing was just fantastic. The, everything about it was positive. Um, you talk about the melee. By the way, that's a melee. I'm granting that full... Melly. Okay. <laughs> I thought that was the worst fight I'd ever seen. It, was, it, involved, it involved 32 people and not one of them but threw a punch. I mean, I've never seen anything. They, they know what happens when you throw an actual punch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get, like, yeah. But you could have had a rain of terror there with a balloon on a stick, couldn't you, really, in that, in, in, in that particular... I'm from the East End of Glasgow. I know the difference between oh, them. Fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Martin, we'll back off here. We've got a Glaswegian telling us. Yeah. It, it showed us what we've missed, Pat, hasn't it, is the game, that the fans are absolutely integral, not just on all sport, but we're talking about football now, absolutely critical to it. Yeah, and do you know, I, I, I had a sore face at the end of it, not through a melee, but because it was <laughs> the whole yeah. time. And it's a joy that to, to have that feeling around... And you're right, you kind of ached for something to happen so that you got that noise. I mean, fortunately, Chelsea made a lot happen, particularly in the first half, they just kept on attacking, the tackles were flying in, 
there was lots of incident in the game, so it was a really good game. I just wonder what that game would have felt like without the fans there. It'd have been a decent-ish game, but it just mentally switches you to a different place. So no, it, it was utterly and completely joyous, um, and I, I desperately hope you know we can keep on going this direction and, and further forward because it changes everything. But it changes everything for every player, and even the away players. I don't know what caused Leicester to be so you know so perfect, but they were, and they might have just maybe had a little bit too much celebrating after the FA Cup final. Those <laughs> psychology, all that sort of stuff. But they seemed really cowed by it and they, they hardly turned up. Yeah, so you could see it, can't you? I mean, and you know, having played how, I'm talking about the Chelsea fans now, that drives you on, doesn't it? And I think the yeah. fans know that there are only 8,000 there. They have to occupy the body of the two or three who aren't there and make the noise of those who are absent. Oh, it, it was so good to see it. And I think when you look back to when we first didn't have fans and it just felt so strange, didn't it? And then I felt like we sort of got used to it. You know, we got used to maybe putting the, the fan noise on the TV. I know some people just would not do that. That was just like completely fake. We have to just keep the, the silence. But to just have them back, yeah, you can see it just maybe gives them that extra little boost, whether it's a big tackle and suddenly the, the fans, you know, get behind them or it's a great attacking move and they just miss. And yeah, it's it's just, it's so positive. And, and like Pat said, I just hope it, it can continue and hopefully we can get more and more in the stadium. Um, Pat, I want to bring this in now because we're talking about fans and we're talking about home advantage. This will be the first season in the history of the Premier League, and I presume English football, sometimes the statisticians forget that things happened when you were playing, Pat, before 1992, where there'll be more away wins than home wins. How much of, of the lack of fans is to explain that? Well, oddly enough, I had a really close look at this about a couple of months ago, because it was too strange. And the, the, the figures are off the scale in comparison to years gone by. And the, the, the amount of teams that have got better away records than home records is ridiculous this season. It, and it cannot be a fluke because it's not happened for over 100 years. And then suddenly it happens. Why does it happen? OK, the fans behind you makes a difference. Now, I've been fortunate enough to be at Anfield quite a few times this season. And there's no doubt it's made a difference. There's a lot of those games that Liverpool would have managed to get points had they been hammering in towards the cop. And that old phrase, the cop sucking the ball in, right, fine, very good. But there's other things as well. They're putting pressure on referees. You know, they're lifting, you're certainly lifting your own players. The psychology of every time the, the, the other players, the opposing players touch the ball and get booed and get hassled, that has an effect and drive, drives them back. Um, but this season, you've had the double whammy. The first thing you've had, obviously, no fans in there. You walk out there and if you're one of those players who doesn't like the away pressure, it's gone. It's just not there anymore. You walk out and it's, What? And it's a, it must be a nice feeling for that small subsection of players who don't like away games, and some of them don't because of the pressures. But the other thing is, you're going to hate me for it, VAR's made a difference. That's helped because the referees don't, they don't get pressured, right? But they'll still get a bit of pressure. If there's a big call at Old Trafford or Anfield or, you know, Chelsea, whatever, and you've got the big club there and you've got big famous faces and your referee in your face shouting and bawling at you, you'll still be a wee bit affected. Well, you won't be with VAR because if it's a big call, you should go over and have a look at it or someone will tell you the correct answer in your ear. So that home advantage from the referees getting put under pressure, and I'm not saying they're cheating, they're not, it's just human nature, that's gone as well. So you're the double whammy. Referees having lesser an impact because of the pressure, 
and also no fans in there. And it's been absolutely extraordinary. So it'll be interesting to see the recalibration next season with the first of those changing the fans back in then. Be interesting to see how things change, as you say, if, if when it comes to VAR, that actually evens up what in the past might yeah. have been decisions which went against the opposing teams. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't be putting money on it being a similar season to this season again. Yeah. And that's not me being brave. If this is a one in a hundred. There's a third factor as well. There's a third factor as well, which is that if you go 2-0 down, um, the home fans won't let you just let the game drift at uh, 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 2-0 down. You know, fans won't let you yeah, just let yeah. the game drift. I mean, at the end of last season, Crystal Palace went to Liverpool on a Wednesday night, I want to say. I think they had one touch in Liverpool's area, the whole game, one touch. Um, that doesn't happen if there's a thousand Crystal Palace fans have made the journey up to Anfield because they wouldn't allow that to happen. They wouldn't allow a team to be so passive. And that particularly applies to home fans. That if you've got 40,000 of your lot in and you're 2-0 down at home, they are not going to let you just sort of let the game drift, let it let it slip away from you or whatever. They are going to make sure that you go hell for there to, to, to get back into that game. And I think that's the third factor. I completely agree with what Pat was saying there and, and uh, about VAR uh, and, and everything. But but that other one as well, fans keep the... Um, they keep the game honest, if you know what yeah. I mean. They, 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 you know, they, they, they keep, you know, they stop anyone thinking, oh, "We're never going to get this back. We'll just, we'll just, we'll just play it out." Basically, yeah. And actually, mm. quite often in Italy and Spain, when you are two 0 down away to a big club, that is it, isn't it? That's the game. You might mm. as well go home then. There's no chance yeah. of anybody. Inter Milan versus Tottenham. That time in the um, Champions League, Inter Milan versus Tottenham. Yes, that, yeah, that's yeah. that's what happened there. Tottenham got their goalkeeper sent off. They went 4-0 down in the first half. Inter Milan had never played any team in that situation that came out for the second half and actually thought they were still involved in the game. It was, it was just hysterical to watch. Inter Milan had no idea what to do against a team who were still trying to get back into the game. Because in Italy, that would have been... Everyone looks at each other in the tunnel and says, right, we're not going to... You know, we won't make you look stupid, you know. Don't you do anything too daft or whatever, and, and everyone sort of agrees, and it, it would have it would have ended four yeah. nil, and and Tottenham got it back to four three, I think. And if the game had gone on five minutes longer, they would have yeah, equalised. Yeah. No doubt. That was the birth of Bale. That was Bale. That was Bale. Yeah. Sue, let's have a look at the last day. What it all means is we've got a thrilling last day. We've got Chelsea mm. and Liverpool now in the box seat, but Chelsea haven't got the easiest game at Villa, have they? Um, and Leicester at home to Tottenham. We'll get on to Harry Kane in a second. You would anticipate that Liverpool would beat Palace, I think, at Anfield. But how do you look at the last day, Sue, when it comes to those Champions League places? It's so difficult, isn't it? I think because we've sort of known who the, the champions were for, for quite a while now, Man City, we sort of knew Man United were probably going to finish second. It was just who's going to finish in those those top four places. And I think... There's, there's been quite a few teams that have been there or thereabouts, even looking at Everton when they had a, a few games in hand. Could they actually make it West Ham? But I think at the moment, I think Chelsea will stay there. I know it's going to be tricky for them. I just think beating Leicester, I think that's given them that, that momentum going into that, that last game. I think Tuchel has done a brilliant job, which we, we spoke about earlier. And I, do, I feel so sorry for Leicester because I think the same thing is going to happen to them this season as it, as it did last season. I've been saying all the way through it, I think they might just stay there because they'll have learned from those experiences from last season. But now, just looking at the last day, I think Liverpool are going to just sneak in. And 
you've got to say for Liverpool what they've gone through with their injuries and, and everything else. If they make top four, it's not a bad season for them. And I think they'll take that after everything else that, that's gone on. I know they won the league last year, but because of their centre-half problems and obviously Henderson, Milner, leaders out, I think they'd be, they'd probably take it. they take top four. Yeah, I mean, Martin, Jurgen Klopp said it would be an amazing achievement if Liverpool finished top mm. four, which I have to say sounded rather Arsene Wenger-ish. <laughs> no, I think he's right. I must admit, I think he is right on this. But we, used to that... beat, we used to beat Wenger over the head every season. But he hadn't won the Champions League and the, and the, and the title the two seasons before it. And he hadn't lost his... I mean, when you look at their injuries, I mean, if you take every single uh, centre-half out of any club, um, and then you take, I mean, the playmaker, uh, uh, Thiago, was was gone for uh, mm. two or three months. I mean, the captain's uh, gone. I mean, if you take those people out of any club, I think it's a remarkable achievement that they've managed to come top four. I'm not even sure Manchester City could come top four if you removed the, the centre-halves and, and, and you removed those, those key, key players. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I, I, I can see that. I, I, I can see that, that this season, it will fill in its own way. You know, it was it was Arsenal who said it was like a trophy, wasn't it? He said yeah. that top four was like a trophy. I don't agree with that, as you know. But um, at the same time, I can see how at Liverpool this season, it would feel like a trophy. Yeah. I really can, because, because they must have looked at that and thought, there's no way in for us. There's no way in for us now. And once it's done, that run of games, is it six games they lost at home? At home, yeah, yeah. yeah. In a Five row. or six games in a row. I, I mean, which I think I was unheard of. I Sorry? I, I think I was at three of those six games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they were... They were they they were insipid displays, weren't they? They, 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 they were shot you know, at the time, Pat, weren't they? They, they were completely shot. Yeah. I have to say there was something else as well. I think Jürgen didn't have a good, a good game in any of them either. Mm. Some of his tactical thinking... I mean, really early on, you may remember back to the teams. I mean, Chelsea was one of the teams. I think Fulham was another one of the teams. They just kept the, putting the ball in the same place behind the right back area. Yeah. Time and again, time and again, time and again. I'm thinking, well, you're going to figure that out soon. Because Henderson or Van Dijk used to cover, right? And neither of them were available because, you know, Trent's going to go. So mm. it was kind of obvious. If you're going to play a high line, everybody knows in football. So it's going, yeah, obviously. You see what happens when we play it there. But he didn't see it was happening to his team. They kept on losing chances. Mm. So it was actually, and he, then they put the, some of the kids had to go and play that right back position. Of course, mm. they're not used to it. You've got young certain backs who are not covering. But he has to help them as well. You know, they're young, they're coming in. The, the, it's not Van Dyke, it's not Henderson, it's not people that read the game like Thiago. It's not them. So, so help them, give them a lot of support over there. And I have to say, I was slightly surprised by Jurgen in that point. Having said that, he's come back on a game now. And it's been a great run, as you say. I haven't said that. Looked about seven, eight games in, I've always felt that we're going to get top four. And I know there were a good few points behind, but the running in comparison to some of the others um, has been lighter, much, much lighter. But they needed, Pat, they needed one of the most... Well, you two, you and Sue can tell us, have, have you ever played with a goalkeeper who could head the ball like Alison Becker? Because that was a proper <laughs> header. That wasn't a little flicky off the side glance. That was a proper timed header, wasn't it? Oh, it was brilliant, wasn't it? And uh, I think goalkeepers always think that they can do that in training. They'll always say, I can be the centre forward. And I know they practice against each other. So they'll, you know, they'll have like three or four goalkeepers and they'll do shooting practice. But to actually come up and do it at that moment. And I think everything that he'd been through as well, I think that just, 
meant even more, didn't it? You know, it was it was unbelievable. It was something that I haven't sort of experienced or, or seen before. Yeah, fantastic. You know, it's about the second best example I've seen of it this month. That's a bit harsh, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Right, okay, I'm trying to think where the best was. Okay, carry yeah. on. In the Scottish Cup semi Oh, the St Johnston goalie, uh, yes. And uh, Xander Clark comes up late and he gets a, br- I mean, a really brilliant head as well. Now, it takes a deflection and goes in, but he does it. Gets Rangers to go into penalties. Then he saves the penalties. I mean, that's heroes. The team will be walking out for the Scottish Cup final. So I know it's a bit Scottish, etc. Yeah. But, you know, it, it was an extraordinary thing. And apart from anything else, he looks like Chewbacca, this guy. So, I mean, it's really... Yeah, he's, got everything. he's impossible to miss, isn't he? Because people oh, yeah. will say, how did the Rangers defenders miss exactly. this bloke with a big beard and a different coloured shirt appearing? <laughs> there's, a, there's a reverse of it as well. Did you see the River Plate Independiente game in the in the Copa Libertadores? So, River Plate, um, the, the squad, coronavirus, sweeps through the squad. They lose 20 players to coronavirus, including all four goalkeepers. And then they apply to Conor Ball and say, you know, we've got this Copa Libertadores match. You know, we need to bring one of our youth team goalkeepers into the squad. And, and Conor Ball, which is, uh, God knows what, what happens <laughs> there sometimes, I've said no, you know, as you would, you know, perfectly fair decision. No, you've got no goalkeepers. You're not allowed to play with any goalkeepers, right? So they, in the end, they send out 11 players. They've got no substitutes. They've got 11 players. Um, Enzo Perez I don't know if you remember when Enzo Perez played for Argentina in the World Cup final in 2014 used to play for Benfica Enzo Perez at the age of 35 has got a muscle injury so he can't actually be an outfield player so he goes in goal for the, for the game and you know like when you see like, outfield players who've gone in goal and you know they fancy themselves as goalkeepers <laughs> or what? Enzo Perez quite clearly has never been in goal in his entire life he, Keeps goal like you did when you were 10, basically. If the ball comes into his arms, he then falls forward on it just in case it escapes. And he pats one out for a corner that, that you could have caught with one hand. And he makes a save for a shot that's three foot outside the post anyway and tips it round. And it's, it's <laughs> magnificent. And they win 2 1. They win 2 wow. 1. Brilliant. Uh, uh, with, with Enzo Perez in goal at the age of 35. <laughs> Clearly never gone there in his life. Not even a tall guy. I mean, it's not like they've got, oh, you're tall, you can go and go. It's literally, <laughs> we have only got 11 players. Someone's got to go and go, and this guy's injured. So he, he, so he went and go. It was, well, it was we can look, we'll look wonderful that up. stuff. Yeah, we'll wonderful stuff. Um, let, let's talk about events in North London, Sue. Let's start with the fact that quite clearly Tottenham and Arsenal both want to avoid the Conference League. Mm. Final Tirana, Albania, I noticed. But there's every chance. Well, there's every chance that one of them is going to come seventh. I mean, we've got a ludicrous situation on the last day of the season where maybe those two are going. Well, we don't want to win because we don't want to come seventh. <laughs> it's it is an absolute yeah. It's a bizarre situation, isn't it? And I suppose you just you wonder how many teams will be trying to avoid that. I suppose it's third tier European football, isn't it? And 
I don't know, you know, the aim of it, obviously, to give more opportunities to, to those like lower ranked teams and, and lower ranked countries, I suppose, and a chance for them to play European football. And I just don't know how attractive it would be for the likes of Spurs or Arsenal or Everton, West Ham, whoever ends up finishing in that, that position. You think extra fixtures, not a lot of prestige that, that maybe comes with it. I don't know financially how much money teams will get. So is, is it worth it for, for that and, and TV rights and things? But yeah, to me, it just doesn't seem that attractive. So yeah, it's quite bizarre, isn't it? If teams are trying to avoid, so they're trying to not get the results so that they don't finish in that position. Yeah, it's quite a strange one. I don't know how that would work. Well, none of us do because it's all brand new. The is it? Is it? Is it? I don't think well, it's brand new. Third tier European trophy. Remember the UEFA Cup, the Cup oh, Winners yeah. Cup. Winners Cup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Pat, we knew then who qualified for what and how from the start, didn't we? Very few. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually just trying to set Martin up here. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I, I tell you what, I don't mind a third European trophy. You know, there's always been. It should have been. I don't know why they ever got rid of the Cup Winners' Cup. Great, you know, that, that, and then yeah. just, just make it the Cup Winners' Cup, and that is yeah. it's for Cup winners. This this idea of, you know, it's all about votes, isn't it? it, it it's all about you know if we give yeah. four places, you know, for Maltese teams or whatever, Malta will yeah. definitely vote for me to still be the UEFA president, and that's what it's all about. And if you're going to have that, the idea that you then, but they still want the four the four main leagues in Europe to be involved in that, so. You know, they so you're then going to sucker somebody into to, to this competition that is not really set up for any uh, sort of credible football purpose, if you see. I mean, because there was mm. a perfectly good third European tournament, which was which was the Cup Winners' Cup, and I, I, I never understood why that went. And I know people said, "Oh, it lacked the prestige," but that's what you got into if you won the cup, and it was for all those teams across Europe that won the cup. Yeah, you said lacked the prestige. I think if you spoke to Pat, the Chelsea fans who went to Stockholm or the Arsenal yeah. fans who went to Copenhagen. There was no uh, Manchester United fans when we came out of the when we came out of the, the band, you remember? Manchester yeah. United won in Rotterdam, I think. There was no lack of prestige for the English clubs then in the yeah. Cup Winners' Cup. It's but the, the, that's why I'm not dissing it right away. No. I mean, one thing mm. I would say, look, get the violins out because you have to play in this this, this league. If you don't want yeah. to play in it, don't worry, you can send the reserves. Martin's Martin's thinking a point in West Ham are in Europe anyway for the first time in how long? That, really? You know, West Ham are in the Europa League. League. We're yeah, in the Europa League. Achievement. Yeah. The only problem with that is that the Romanian team that no one had ever heard of that have now knocked us out the last two times we've we've got anywhere near Europe. I think they're in the Romanian Cup final on um, Saturday, so they could qualify for the Europa League. We. West Ham could end up playing, getting knocked out by the same Romanian team three times on the turn that no one's ever heard of anyway. Um, you know, it's not a story of Booker. It's not like getting knocked out by a story, but you are literally getting knocked out by a sort of model of Paul Cortina, basically. You know, it's one of those sort of names. Astra somebody, I think it is. Something, you know. it's, it's, um, anyway, that'd be a great achievement. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it sounds exactly. like a vaccine, yeah. That's right. The other thing that's happening in North London, Pat, of course, is Harry Kane. Have we reached the point of no return now? Whatever Daniel Levy says, will Harry Kane get his wish? It appears to be his wish and leave this summer. Um, I think that happened when Jose Mourinho left, probably. Because, you know, bringing Jose in, saying, right, OK, he's going to make us special. When that didn't happen, <laughs> come on, it's, it's a bit unfair on Harry. And I, 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 I've not heard a Spurs fan who would be annoyed with him. 
you know, for the fact no. he's done such incredible mm. things to the club, but he's got to take a chance and it's, it hurts, but that's what football people do. They try to maximise the potential of their career. I don't even think, it's nothing going to do with earning power. Harry doesn't sound that tight. And it sounds like a guy having a chance to play with the best players in the world, in the best competitions and get finals and get trophies. Um, and it just, and it's not a Chelsea guy having a dig at Spurs. They do seem a wee distance away from it. They really do. And they don't look as if they're getting closer, whether it's others are moving away. I, it's got to be time. It's got to be, If Harry's ever going to go, it's got to be now. I mean, it's coming up 28, Sue. Two years ago, mm-hmm. next week, they're in the Champions League final. They're 90 minutes away from the biggest you know, club trophy in European football. And now they're scrapping to avoid the Conference League. I mean, it, it, it seems to be only heading one way, realistically, doesn't it, with Harry Kane? Yeah, it, it does. And I think when a, a player wants to go, it's, it's very difficult to, to keep hold of him. I know, you know, financially, who can a, afford to take Harry Kane? But none of, no, I haven't heard one Spurs fan say that they would begrudge him that move because of, you know, what he's done for the club. Every single game, he gives 100%. Every single game you see, you know, whether it's his goals or his assists, he's just been the ultimate professional, hasn't he? And, and, he just wants to to move on and, and win trophies and, and I suppose just develop his career even more. So, yeah, I th- unfortunately for, for Spurs, you would say that the the timing is is now. He even said it to me in his interview where he said something like, if Daniel Levy wants him to go because he's worth 100 million now, but will he be worth that, you know, in, in two years' time? So he's sort of doing it the right way, isn't he? I think he's, he's trying to to get his move that way. The only thing for me was the, the timing of it, the fact that it was it came out too gate too. Was it two games before? So yeah. they've got two massive games. The home game, yeah. Yeah, so the, the timing was a bit bizarre. I don't know, you know, if, if there was a, a reason for that, that they released it at a certain time, because you've got two huge games and you obviously would want to be focusing on that. So that was the only thing that, that surprised me a little bit. But yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me that, that Harry Kane wants to go and, and further his career. Martin, we've talked about this a lot on the on this programme and you've talked quite rightly about the financial constraints that the Spanish clubs are under. Mm-hmm. But as Sue says, if Daniel Levy wants to sell him, he's got to sell him now because he won't be worth this in two years' time, two more years on the ankles or one more year on the ankles and one year yeah. older. Do you, do you think Man City are the favourites, Martin? Yeah, at the moment, because, you know, you can't see them selling to Chelsea. Um, you know that's that's the one that, that, that's the one thing. Although it would be a great move for everybody, it would be a great move for Harry Kane. It would be a great move um, for Chelsea, and Chelsea have got the money, which sort of satisfies Tottenham's end as well. So, ostensibly, you know that would be a great move as well. But Manchester City, you would think, because of um, the financial power of the club. Um, and also because they, let's face it, they need somebody in that position. I mean, I know Guardiola has on occasions played without a centre forward, but I don't think as much as as much as he always says his ideal team is eleven midfield players. Uh, I, I don't think you know you play without play without a centre forward if you've got a great centre forward. Uh, you know, um, and in terms of eleven midfield players, well, I've seen you know, have a look at how many assists Harry Kane gets each, every season, have a look at his relationship with Son. I mean, the man can play as a forward midfield player. He, he can do the role as a forward midfield player. He can drop out and, and, and set somebody else up. So, yeah, they, they would be the favourites. The two point, only two points I would make is that Harry said yesterday um, that it's up to him when he goes, uh, not not Daniel Levy, which I think 
shows a fundamental misunderstanding of what a six-year contract actually is and when you're only three years through it because mm-hmm. it is up to Daniel Levy whether he goes. Um, and, the, and the other thing is that um, what clubs do tend to do is they try to manipulate the situation even if they want to sell. So if you're not careful, you can end up with all the fans hating you. They'll start off, you know, you look at... Everton are masters at this. You know, Everton will, you know, will, will twist the situation and twist the situation until by the end when Wayne Rooney leaves, it's like he is the most disloyal person in the entire world. Uh, when actually, really, they've always wanted, to, they were always going to sell him for 30 million quid or whatever it was. They just wanted to get to a situation where the fans weren't blaming them anymore. They were blaming the player and then they sell. And that's a very modern thing. Yeah. So do you see City as the most likely destination? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think probably everything that, that Martin's just said there, they, they have been very successful with having that, that false number nine, that, that fluid sort of interchanging of positions that is very difficult for defenders to, to play against and it has worked. But you just think for them to have a different option. But I just think help us all if, if Manchester City get Harry Kane. <laughs> you just think how good would they be then? So, yeah, it, it would be a, a good move for him, obviously winning trophies, competing in, you know, top competitions. And it would help Manchester City. You're adding goals, you're adding assists. And I think he would fit into that 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 way of playing. And they've got the money. Pat, Pat it's not going to happen, is it? It's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> Chelsea. As far as I can see, there are three possibilities and only the three. And it is Manchester United, it is Manchester City and it is Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. I can't see Liverpool getting in there I could not for the life of me seeing them going to PSG um, I can't see the reasons anymore of, of going to Barca or Real Madrid I know that sounds really harsh but the financial situation of those clubs and you know the rebuild that they have to do um, mm-hmm. I just don't think that's a good move anymore for Harry Kane um, I think the good moves are all in the Premier League and they're all the clubs are talking about um, and it's also taken away that he's actually second choice for them all so that, that changes it a little bit as well. I mean, United obviously have Cavani, but they'd still take Harry. But they'd all want Holland. They would, take, mm. they would all take Holland before yeah. they take Harry. And it's not yeah. the better player because it's age. Right. Mm. So that's, you would do that. And with the cost, you would all take Holland. So it's going to be tight. And it's going to be, uh, if Daniel Levy can try and play all the games he likes. He might not have a, that many aces in his hands after all. The only ace he's got is the one that Martin mentions. That three-year contract. Yeah, yes, yeah. It's <laughs> a player can, deal. can cause all sorts of problems in that. So your question is not going to happen re him going to Chelsea. Probably not. But I give you Fernando Torres. Did you see that one coming? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, yeah. Cole, did you see that one coming? <laughs> it's possible. But the the only thing I, I I do agree, and I wrote a column about this a, a couple of months ago that, that 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 said you know Chelsea Harry Kane to Chelsea would be a, actually a good move for all three parties if Tottenham were willing to sell. But the fact remains that I think the last player Tottenham sold to Chelsea was over twenty years ago now, and I want to say Neil Sullivan, um, and it's like a third choice goalkeeper. Yes, yeah, yeah. 
Um, it's, it's like they sold them a third choice goalkeeper in, in 2000 or, some, or something like that. You know, they wouldn't sell them Luka Modric. I mean, Chelsea came in on two occasions, uh, two summers, consecutive summers for Luka Modric and, and, and Levy wouldn't sell. And it's a strange thing that this Tottenham-Chelsea rivalry has, 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 has grown and grown. You know, uh, the, Tottenham have got three clubs that all sort of, you know, their fans also, or the other fans, so, you know, West Ham, Chelsea and Arsenal or whatever, they're, they're all this massive rival with Tottenham now, which is quite can strange. I, can I ask a question there? And on the back of that, can I, and to all yeah. of it, right? Daniel Levy gets an offer from Chelsea for $150 million. It's only gets an offer of $100 million from Man City. Oh. Ben would say that. <laughs> oh, mate, uh, if you look at Tottenham's finances... You know what they've got to do. I mean, that's the other thing. You know, how one how he said uh, it was it was charming, really the, the the sort of naivety of it almost that he said you know that there was just he'd like to get it done by the European Championships. And you're thinking, yeah, if you're talking about the European Championships in 2024, you've got, you've got <laughs> a chance there, you know. Um, but but in like two weeks, nothing. I mean, I, I would have thought it takes. Daniel Levy two weeks to order the coffees for the first round of negotiations with this sort of stuff. He just seems a guy that likes likes a deal, just likes the negotiation a, a little bit too much. Everything with Tottenham drags on and on and on. I, I had a colleague who was at Arsenal's training ground when they were told to go there one sunny sun, Tuesday or whatever, and he said to me afterwards, when Arsene Wenger walked in with Sol Campbell, we all went, what? Imagine <laughs> if Thomas Tuchel walks in with Harry Kane. Crunch. Oh, absolutely. Hey. Wow. Again, so, sorry to bet a little bit of Scottishness in here, but this one actually works. There was one worse one than that. And it well, was Mo Johnson. walked in with Morris Johnson to the end. Yeah. And that was the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen in a football yeah. stadium. <laughs> yes. yeah. So, what you're saying, Pat, is if Mo Johnson can go to Rangers, then Harry Kane can go to Chelsea. That's the point. Yeah. You know, but when it comes down to cold hard cash, um, does anyone yeah. have to go to our cash anymore? Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> them certainly don't. That's why they've got to sell Harry Kane. A couple more things to do. Uh, and we're gonna, one more thing to do, then we're going to finish with Pat's book. We're going to talk about Roy Hodgson, who has been in management too for 45 years in so oh. many different countries yeah. since beginning at Halmstad in Sweden. What a, what a great football man, a tremendous ovation for him at Selhurst Park the other night. And nice that he finishes, for now, because he says he's not retiring, for now yeah. he finishes at one of his former clubs at Anfield on Sunday. Oh, it is. And uh, what an unbelievable servant to, to the game. He, he clearly knows football, doesn't he, inside out. And it was a really nice reception when he, he got the, like the, the guard of honour. And I'm sure that, that will have meant a, a lot to him. Um, but you can see with his interviews, he doesn't want to stop. He wants to stay involved, doesn't he? He keeps saying you know, at the end of this, there's still other opportunities and because it's what he's done for so, so long. So it would be so difficult to just completely stop. So I hope he does stay involved in, in some capacity. Um, but it's, it's a new era for Crystal Palace, isn't it? New manager, they've got, is it 15 players out of contract? Yep. So it, it's a rebuild and it's what way the Crystal Palace want to go now. Because I, I think they're, you know, the, the remit's been keep Crystal Palace in the Premier League and, and that's what Rhee Hodgson's managed to do. So what is next? What, what's going to be next for Crystal Palace? Because he's brought a level of stability to Palace in the Premier mm. League, Martin, which they've never had before. They've always been the yo one of the yo-yo clubs, but not at the moment, thanks to Roy. No, that, that, that's what he's done. He's, he, you know, that he, he righted the ship in his first season, and it hasn't really been in trouble since. They, they've mm. never really looked like winning anything. They, they, they had a brief flirtation, I think it was at the start of last season, when they were up amongst like that in that like fifth, sixth, seventh type place or whatever. Mm. But they sort of quickly moved back, but. 
he's kept him steady. Uh, you know, and, and and now they obviously don't want that anymore. If if you know what I mean, they, they want to be kept steady, but they now want to. You know, they've seen say maybe West Ham this season, Everton, and and they want that, and they want someone who's going to be dynamic and try and push the the the, um, the club up the uh, league table. But as you say, a lot of people out of contract. The injury to Eze, which will take him, mm. uh, keep him out until January. Uh, they're, they're saying at the earliest, yeah. it's an Achilles injury. They're horrible. That's a massive blow for any new manager taking over because he is a, an outstanding part of that team and yeah. just coming to the age where he's really influencing matches. It's quite a difficult job because uh, whoever succeeds, Roy, because. They will, they, they will almost take what Roy has done as a given and your job is to improve on that. But actually, when you saw what happened, the reason that Roy got, gets the job in the first place is that they go for this great big, great leap forward with Frank de Boer. Yeah. You know, they've lost lost four games on the spin and, 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 and are panicking. And that can happen when you start. You know, Roy's teams don't risk too much. That's, that's, that's you know, he organises them very, very well and they don't risk, risk too much. If you're going to get to fifth or sixth or seventh or, or that sort of part of the league table as Crystal Palace, there's got to be an element of risk. There's got to be. And it's very dangerous. But Pat, interesting listening to people who played for him at various clubs is how much he cared about them as individuals as well. You know, sometimes we just get the feeling all they care about is get us up the table, win the game or whatever. Dealing with you know, athletic young men in this case that actually a lot of them have said, no, he really cared about us, us as individuals and knew if he did that, we would be better footballers as a result of it. You ever go and yeah. read books about management? They don't. Management's bigger than football. It's just not tactics. It's managing people. It's maximising the potential of the individuals that you have working under you. And you do that with a variety of means. And one of them is to hope that show that you care. And by the way, it helps if you're not faking it and you actually do care, which yeah. I think Roy does, right? I mean, 21 clubs he's had. It's an absolutely struggling, but if you look at it, he seems to get the best out of a lot of people. And you look at the group and you think, well, that's probably not going to be good at enough. And then you see the gen we get through. So, I mean, and also some players, he, he absolutely gets one, but Saka seems to get better. But particularly Eze. I mean, I, I am... I'm a distraught, and I'm not over-exaggerating, mm -hmm. as he's injured, because yeah. I think he's the best player to go and buy people in the league. He mm -hmm. has the best in the league. Now, there's lots of other bits he's game that he needs to improve on, but purely for going by and beating people, and it's kind of something I used to do about myself, and that particular injury is upsetting. But Roy was beginning to get the best and mould him in a good way, and he was growing as a player. So I'm gutted by that. Two points I would make, final points I'd make about him. Number one, Delighted that it's going on like this because if had it ended with England, it would have yes. been a nightmare into his career. Mm. And it's not forgotten, but it's actually put in perspective now. With a career of that length, that's a blip for whatever reasons, and it might not all have been his. And the other one is, I think they should put a statue for him, but where on earth and what country do you put it? I have no idea. <laughs> well, I've, it, I, I did an interview with Sven-Joran Eriksson this week and he said that, uh, that, that he did a huge amount, Roy Hodgson, for Swedish football with what he introduced mm -hmm. into Swedish football. And in a way, him and uh, Bobby Houghton, I think I'm right in saying yes, Bobby Houghton, right -hand yeah. man. The pair of them you almost brought Swedish football up to date a little bit in terms of innovation and tactics. So maybe Halmstad's a good place to start yeah. for a statue. <laughs> 
And then, well, they've taken down the Michael Jackson statue, haven't they, at Fulham? So we can't, we can't replace it there. <laughs> Pat, let's, let's talk about your book, The Accidental Footballer. Absolutely fascinating. I've read it. I mean, I, there are so many different places to start, but started with the fact that you didn't, never set out to be a footballer. Yeah, I tried really hard not to be a footballer and fail. <laughs> and um, it's kind of an odd position to come from. Um, when you, But it's, I kind of love playing. It's under explaining to people, because it's hard to understand from the outside, because we're used to this usual narrative. And the narrative is, oh, you fight for it and you push and you, you want nothing else in life. And uh, very good. I didn't feel that way. But it didn't mean I wasn't dedicated to it. And I loved playing. And I would argue I loved playing at least as much as anybody around me. And I loved training. But all the other stuff around it, I didn't have a great interest in. Um, it just wasn't my thing. So the idea was to go and do a degree, which I started. Um, but I kind of get dragged back into it. I'm kind of happy about it. It kind of led to some great adventures and great fun. And, you know, I, I certainly loved playing when I played it. But it was a very intriguing thing to spend 20 years as a player inside, looking at it, thinking, right, you lot are all weirdos and I'm normal. And, of course, they all thought I was a weirdo. <laughs> and it's, a, it's, an, it's an angle to write about and I started writing and honestly I could not stop I loved it I loved the kind of process of writing and I, I eventually actually I, I, 120,000 miles I better show some of this rubbish <laughs> and they quite liked it so it's nice and it's been out a day now and people have been worryingly nice about it <laughs> it's kind of going on <laughs> But you never, Pat, you never minded, weren't you, that you were you were different to the others in the sense that you read books and listened to music and liked literature and all that and, and art and so forth. That you, you that never worried you, did it, that you might be seen as to be slightly different to your teammates? I don't think I don't think it should be a worry. In a flippant way, no, you know, I, I didn't care because I had my mates outside, right? And I, I'll do your job. And I would ask anyone listening, anybody talking to us, do you hang about with all your mates at work all the time when you're out of work? Answer, almost certainly no, right? So you're allowed to have another life. And I thought I was normal by doing that. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. There is a, a slightly more serious note behind it, is there will be bullying's maybe putting it a bit far, but yes, that could happen because you are different, you are the outsider. So you have to have a strong personality to be able to do with that, deal with that. And if there's, there's not messages as such, I'm not standing on any uh, pulpits here shouting at people. Um, but if there's a message, if anyone, particularly younger people, read this, it's okay to be different. It's okay to be yourself. It's okay in the midst of a group. You don't have to try and be like them if you're not like them. And it doesn't matter what part of your life and what part of your person that is. And you'll be respected more if you are that person. And it's much easier just to be honest to yourself. So... It sounds a wee bit preachy, that. It's not. But that's what I felt at the time. And I never felt uncomfortable. And I think the players kind of generally treated me as a bit of a curio. Um, and I just treated them as a bit of a study, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but, Sue, I think because the football fans are so tribal by nature, they assume, I think, that when they go to watch their team... All their team, one to eleven, love each other. They're all best mates, and you're all going to do it. And actually, it's it's sometimes the sort of scales fall from your eyes when you hear from Pat and Shaw. You now say, yeah. I, "I really liked A, B, and C. D, I couldn't stand." But um, somebody said to me once, a very successful team. I did not like player D at all. But if he scored a goal, I was the first one to jump on him because it was a big goal. 
Yeah, and, and that's what happens, and and that is it's being part of a team, isn't it? And and sometimes there'll be people like you say that that they'll be your friends within that team, and you'll continue to be their friends. There's you know there's people that I still keep in contact with that you know I played football with when I was younger. There's other people that I haven't, and and that just happens in life, doesn't it? As Pat said, in a workplace there'll be certain people that you're friends but you just get on with them and you work with them because you have to it's about being a team and it's about being successful you know on that football pitch and and that's what you have to do so it's really interesting and you know I sort of wanted to ask Pat if you know the fact that you sort of you said that you got out of that bubble because sometimes you get involved in the football bubble don't you and and you sort of do what your mates do because you think that's what you should do as a footballer but by you getting out of that did that help you a little bit because I think sometimes it, it's better to step back sometimes rather than being right involved, whereas you had your friends outside of football. So did that help you in your career? Yeah, I, I think it did. I mean, to be honest, I didn't get out of it. I just never got in. <laughs> no, I'm not having that. Um, yeah. I, I didn't have the same interest. I, I didn't feel better. I just there was, I had different interests. And that's cool. That's fine. That's okay. I actually do. And it's a brilliant question, Sue. I actually do think it made me better. Because it gave me a perspective. And I, I had a backup. If I failed at football, there was other things I could do. So I had a backup. And as time went on, I respected them. For a lot of them, didn't. They just put everything in this, all their eggs in this one basket. But I knew that I could go away, not think about it, think about my other passions and loves in life. And, you know, and it would wipe from my brain. And then you go back into training the next day. Yeah. Do you train? So, yes, it did help me feel quite relaxed. It would have been, I'll be honest with you, it would have been really nice now and again to have the odd... I mean, I've gotten really well with some of the players who, particularly the surrealist, humorous ones, to which there were quite a few. <laughs> Neville Southall and uh, a guy called Pates and Bumstead when I was down at Chelsea. There's every club had a couple of surrealist lunatics and I like them. I look, I look out for lunatics in this life in the, in the nicest possible sense, <laughs> by the way. I mean, people are just a bit fun and daft and mad. Um, but now and again, I will admit, it would have been nice to have kind of a mate there. And Mark mm. and I were chatting just the other week about this. And I've, I used to go to the youth team and pick up one of the youth players and say, right, you're training with me this afternoon. And I would train the afternoon alone because, as I say, I love playing. So yeah. I, would, I would stay extra every day. And uh, anyway, after about six weeks, couldn't get by this kid. I'm thinking, I've lost it. I've kind of just got the youth team left back and I can't get by him or I'm struggling to get by him. Now, how was that in old Graham Lasso? Was going to become quite good. I picked the next England left back, <laughs> and in a way, he was the guy that he, he was one of the few that I kind of really thought. Well, yeah, I can talk to him. Like, didn't say I molded him, but I thought, well, you can come and I'll show you the, you know, the, the art galleries and all that sort of stuff. Then you find your own way, and maybe. Maybe I could have done with you, Martin, to be honest. Somebody talked about music with. I think I could yeah. Yeah. just sat together on that front seat of that coach, mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Talking talking music. Yeah. Graham was so Burge. I, I knew Graham was, everyone used to call him Burge, didn't they? Burge actually was in the channel. That's right. And, 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 yeah. and uh, I was on an under-21 uh, trip with, uh, with with Graham and with... And they won it, I think. I seem to remember they we, they won this one. We won this one. And there's a, you know, everyone's gone out for a few drinks and now everyone's like, you know, thrown each other in the swimming pool and, and stuff like that. And Burge has, has, has left. He, he's gone. He's, he's gone to bed. And the, some of the players, I think Chelsea players, actually, David Lee, I want to say, is, is one of the guys there and stuff. Right, let, let's, get, let's get Burge and we're going to throw him in the swimming pool. 
and they basically break into his room. And they're obviously thinking he's like a sort of soft touch because he was, you know, he, 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 as you say, he was he was another one of these different guys. You know, he liked antiques and he, he was the Guardian and, and everyone thought, uh, to use your phrase, Pat, he was a weirdo, he was a weird Ooh. person. <laughs> and, um, and, but he's, you know, if you come from the Channel Islands and you like antiques and the Guardian and you've made it in professional football and you're as good as Graham is, you don't do that without being having a little bit about you. He fought must have been eight guys down two flights of stairs and and out across this rough, rough, I mean, rough concrete sort of patio. His back, I've never seen so much blood scratches and stuff like that, where he's he's took about three of them into the pool with him when they eventually got they, they couldn't give up now. They've they, they've started it. They can't they can't abandon it halfway through or whatever, this mission to throw him in the swimming pool. And he took about three of them with him in like this, this absolute fury. I was a very, very uh, great admirer of Grandmaster. Great, First of all, I'm great, great man and still great friend. And when yeah. the really dark times came, sometimes Graham was phone me when we talk about uh, it. I think I'd say things like, you know, you're standing in this beautiful big mound of moral <laughs> rectitude and certainty. Don't jump off it and join them. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gonna drag you out there, just take it and get thrown oh, in. No, but it wouldn't that was, that's what I thought. It would have been the easiest thing to just walk with them and jump in the pool and stuff. And he literally fought them all the way. Can we finish here? Because I really want to recommend Pat's book. It's brilliant, The Accidental Footballer. But Pat, will you finish by telling you about your dad, who was called Patrick, and what you used to do for your dad in a home game at Stamford Bridge, every game, when he came all the way down on the train to watch you play from Glasgow tonight. Yeah, I'd never, I'd never really told anyone this because I thought it was dead normal. But it's, I played 100, 850 games in my career. Um, now my dad would come all the way down. He's working man in Glasgow, get a train down. He worked for British Rail so he could afford it, i.e. free travel. Um, but he <laughs> the game before the game starts. Now, a lot of the book is, the start of the book is a, is a kind of a letter to my dad, which is, hopefully funny as well, and, and but explains why I played football with him. And, uh, but I couldn't see him because I was warming up and starting the game. He had to leave five minutes before the end to get the last train to get back up the road. So he's come all the way from Scotland, all the way back up. And he did this for home away games, did it all the way through Chelsea Everton. So we had, we had this idea that I'll say hello. I won't be able to pick you out in the crowd, but I'll go in one mazy dribble, just a total mazy dribble for the pure fun of it. Because my dad was the one who taught me how to dribble. And that's me saying, hi, Dad. So about, I don't know, five or six games at the end of my Chelsea career, I got the ball on the 18-yard line. I'm playing against Newcastle and Kevin Keegan was against us and Wadlar and Bearsley. I mean, they were a decent team. So I've basically ran the length of the pitch and beat about six or seven, crossed it, and Kerry didn't manage to score, right? And from that moment on, the Chelsea fans, that was the moment. They've, They've loved me, they've been kind to me ever since, right? I was just saying hi, Dad. <laughs> and that's it from Game On. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. That's it from me, Mark Pugach. See you next week for more Game On.